All right, guys. Um, originally, we were going to be in Luke 9, I think 13 to 50. I'm switching it up. Same, same passage, different gospel. We're going to do Mark 9, 14 to 41. So turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to do verses 14 to 41. Um, you guys will have to forgive me. I got sick like a day and a half ago, and it was a little too late to call an audible. Um, so I'm going to do the best I can with that, what I feel like the Lord's given me this week. Um, but could be a shorty. So, um, Mark nine, verse 14. If you do not have a Bible, please raise your hand. Somebody should be able to, oh, Cameron, grab a Bible. Nobody can get one up there. You got to grab your own. Sweet. Last week was a busy one for me as well. We did the transfiguration with uh, Chauncey last week, correct? Sweet. <clears throat> Once you guys are all there, could you please give me an amen? Good, 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 good. Mitch, what, <laughs> what do I do? You're on that side. Whoa. Well, I'm fine. Everything's fine. All right, guys, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. <clears throat> Father, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, our one goal tonight is that you would be glorified. Lord, our one goal tonight is that you would be honored. Lord, that our love for you would be stirred up. <clears throat> our love for others would be stirred up. And Lord, we ask that you would just fill this place with your Holy Spirit, Lord, over me and the words that I say. <clears throat> Lord, in each and every one of us who are here to hear from you in your word. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we want to give your word honor. And we want to give you honor. So, Lord, be with us tonight. Thank you so much for this body. Lord, I love Wednesdays. I say it every time I get to teach. So, thank you, Lord, <clears throat> for this opportunity to teach. But, Lord, would it, would it be used wisely? And in your beautiful and holy name, amen. Um, David, or somebody, would you be down to gra or grab me a um, bottle of water? Thank you, Chef. Right on. <clears throat> Mark 9, verse 14. We're going to do, uh, I think, right off the rip here. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. It might be a rough one. We're going to do verses 14 to 16. Uh, and then pause. I got a couple things, and then we'll keep going. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them. Thank you, Chef. He saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. That is the disciples. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? So right um, context for this passage um, from last week, we should know what's going on, right? Peter, James, John, and Jesus go up the mount. Jesus is transfigured before them. They get some degree of God's glory, physical glory in front of their faces, and they are blown away. Peter kind of stumbles and says, Lord, it's a good thing that we're here. They had, hey, the law with Moses and the prophets, Elijah, are there with them, right? And he said, hey, like, let's build three tabernacles. It's good that we're here. And it's almost like the father kind of cuts him off and says, hey, 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 listen to my son, right? 
So they're coming down. It goes from three, the law, the prophets, Elijah, Moses, to just, hey, one, Jesus, right? Amen? Just Jesus in front of them. Um, it's just him. And then Peter kind of has, <laughs> needs to get shut up a little bit. After this, hey, they're headed down the mountain. They've had this awesome mountaintop experience. And so much so like us, we can have these incredible mountaintop experiences. Great things happen. The Lord is moving. And what's going down at the bottom of the hill when they get down the hill, the valley? The scribes are disputing with the, um, with the disciples. And we're going to get context around that in the next coming verses. There's going to be a demon possessing a boy. Um, and that's most likely what the uh, scribes are disputing with the disciples. But we see a really cool and beautiful characteristic of our Jesus here. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? I love this picture. Maybe it was, and we're going to see in the next coming verses, the disciples were unable to cast out this demon from this little boy. So it's most likely this dispute between the disciples and scribes revolving around this situation. But the scribes are going after the disciples. The disciples are trying to battle with the scribes, uh, most likely just in word here. And Jesus has to, he sees what's going on and he intercedes. And I think we get to see a really cool picture of Jesus, our shepherd. Amen. He sees that his guys are being challenged by the scribes here. And he, as our loving and good shepherd and their shepherd, kind of steps in and says, hey, what are you discussing with them? That's kind of, that's not the main focus of what we're getting into tonight. But that was one thing I noticed in this first verse is that really struck me and I was blessed by is we serve a God. We have a God in Jesus that is a great shepherd. Amen. And whether it be through, <clears throat> through others, and I would say, um, I'm sure with Steve in the past or even Pastor Keone, with, um, with your sheep or the people that the Lord has entrusted to you or young believers, people come in and they want to tickle the ears or they don't want to dispute something. And the Lord's put it on your heart or say, Steve, just through his Holy Spirit to step in and be a shepherd. Amen. To sound, hey, what are you discussing with them? So I was blessed by that, and I noticed this in this passage, and I hope it's a blessing to you too. Jesus steps in as a shepherd and just kind of puts himself in the middle of this dispute. Hey, what, what's going on here? Um, for me as a dad, or if there's any other fathers or husbands, we're called to be shepherds over our family, correct? To basically be uh, the mediator. If somebody comes in and wants to tell my wife some funky gospel, some funky thing, or my son, or if this is a believer, um, somebody comes into the church and wants to spread something that's false, the Lord's given us authority to kind of stay, step up and say, hey, whoa, what are you doing? What is this? What's going on? So I love that here. It's not a huge deal, but I hope you guys are encouraged by that. We have a great shepherd who here did it in the flesh, Jesus, but I think now gives us his Holy Spirit and discernment to see those things to speak up in our hearts and say, hey, whoa, 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 what's going on? What are you discussing? Amen? So just a little thing there. We have a great shepherd who is our Jesus. 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid, almost like epilepsy. That's kind of what it sounded like when I was reading it like the physical signs of epilepsy, but it was demonic possession. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. 
So like I said, this is maybe kind of the context of what's going on at the bottom of the hill. Um, maybe why the scribes are discussing it with the boys. Um, <clears throat> but apparently there was a demon-possessed uh, young man, child, or yeah, young man, and they were unable to cast out this demon. Which is interesting because we know that previously in the gospel that the Lord had given them power to cast out demons. Amen? Do you guys remember that? I think that was in 8, 7 or 8. I can't remember. 19, he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And as I was reading this, it kind of comes off like harsh. There's like this dad who's bringing his son and he said, Jesus, hey, there's a, a spirit that's taken over my son and seizes him. And Jesus says, O faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And I was trying to figure out maybe who Jesus was speaking to. I think it could be the scribes who either didn't believe or in this are using it as a scenario to kind of pressure Jesus or test Jesus. And he's basically just calling them out and saying, you faithless generation. Kind of like they're wanting another sign. So he's like, how long will I bear with you? Maybe it's the disciples um, with maybe just a lack of faith that we're going to see kind of later on. May not have been relying totally on the Lord for this demon possession. Could have been relying in their flesh maybe. Or maybe it's the dad who doesn't have complete faith that the Lord can <clears throat> cast out this demon. I couldn't quite pinpoint that down. I'll leave that for you guys to read and just kind of see for yourselves. It could be all three. But needless to say, the Lord just kind of has this moment where he's, I don't know, it almost seems like a frustration, but I had almost a hesitancy using that word. But nonetheless, 20. Then they brought him to him, <clears throat> and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Apparently this had been a long-term possession. And when this demon is bring, being brought before Jesus, it's almost like a last-ditch effort from this demon either to just intimidate the disciples or to display its power or knowing that it's almost will be cast out soon, doing as much damage as it possibly can. But I kind of had thought about this and was studying and reading other commentaries as well. And this can be the case, I think, for the enemy when he knows his time is up. When he knows that the Lord is ready to move and will move, I think we see in other people who are about to be saved or about to be delivered, the enemy will do anything and everything in a last-ditch effort to either discourage, to <clears throat> have them maybe who wants to minister to them to turn away. But basically, <coughs> sorry guys, um, basically do everything in his power, the enemy's power, to do as much damage as possible before the turning of the tide. So if you are ministering to someone or know someone in this situation or something that you see as the enemy giving one last-ditch effort, have faith and know that the tide is turning. The Lord is ready to do a work. Don't be discouraged. But I believe that's what we're seeing in this demon possession here. It's been a long time. The enemy, this demon, knows that his time is nearly up and convulses this kid. Jesus asks, hey, how long has this been happening? <clears throat> it says from childhood. I don't want to get totally into the demonic possession aspect of this. We will touch on it a little bit. 
But as we go on, I did want to mention a couple things, so we'll, we'll hold on to that for just now, okay, guys? And often <coughs> he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Almost like possibly a lack of faith here from the Father. If you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us. Help us. Maybe it was faith. Maybe it was faith mixed with unbelief. We're going to see in this next verse here what the Lord does with that. 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. I find this to be a very, very beautiful picture. The Lord could have seen the unbelief in this father or the the lack of faith in this father and said, no, you don't have the faith necessary, I will not. But praise the Lord that we serve a God who wants to help our unbelief, amen? This father is probably at a breaking point. Who knows how many times he's seen his son writhing in pain, broken. We read in the fir- uh, these couple of verses here that this demon has tried to throw his son into fire and water to kill him, which side note, <clears throat> I believe that the, whether it's young teenage or young suicides we see today have a demonic fingerprint in our world. The enemy is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And reading that, I couldn't help but think of, and I've seen it on this island personally with a young man that I know um, on the west side. His name was Ikaika. And the circumstances around his death were <coughs> tricky, but I know that he was into just some not so great stuff, drinking and partying and living for the world. And I think the enemy, when he sees that in our young ones, will jump at it. And I think, needless to say, without diving headfirst into all that, I think we need to be aware of that and maybe be prayerful and mindful of just the demonic presence that the enemy desires to have in our youth. Be praying for the youth you know around you who are struggling with sin. <clears throat> or just struggling to fit in, whether it's drinking or smoking. That drug use obviously, obviously has just a demonic background. So I just noticed that, and I thought that would be maybe helpful for us to think about, because I think, guys, let's not be naive. I think that's something we face here on island today. Be praying for the young ones around us. 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe... All things are possible to him who believes. If it's within our Father's will, if we believe it, all things within his will can be done. Amen. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, Oh, oh my goodness, sorry, I read that already. <coughs> 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. It's almost as this was beginning to cause a scene. Jesus almost like, hurries the process. Maybe not, but it seems like as it was like drawing a crowd, it's almost that Jesus said, hey, enough is enough. Hey, deaf and dumb spirit, enter him no more, which um, enter him no more was also interesting to me. If a chasm is emptied and this demon is casted out, something proper and something eternal needs to replace it. Amen. 
I don't know if you guys have been around demonic possession, um, but just speaking with my dad in the past and with pastors and just seeing ministry and then also knowing in the word, if an enemy, if a demon is entering into somebody but is cast out, that demon, if Jesus, if the Holy Spirit doesn't take place and reside in that soul, the enemy can move right back in. So again, it's cool because Jesus does not allow that to happen. He says, enter him no more. So the Lord does not allow that to happen. But if you know of that or if you're ever in that situation, that's an immediate open door. If that happens, a demonic possession to, hey, introduce the Lord. Bring them straight to the cross. Because that chasm that was once filled by the enemy needs to be replaced with the Holy Spirit. Needs to be replaced with Jesus. Amen? Cool. Then the Spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. Um, Apparently, the demon had done a ton of damage on his way out, that when the demon was cast out, this guy just collapses, and everybody around goes, whoa, he's dead. But Jesus grabs him by the hand, pulls him up, and there's life. Amen? He's restoring this life. I don't have a ton other than that, but we go on. 28, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. One, excuse me, guys, one sec. It would seem there are ranks of demons. <clears throat> we get that from like Ephesians 6.12. Um, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but of principalities and powers. Um, so there's obviously when the Lord gave the disciples power to cast out demons, they were able to. We see that back in, uh, again, I'm sorry, I'll have to find it. <clears throat> Maybe I'll be able to find that for you guys um, at a later date. But they were able to, right? They come back with testimonies, the disciples do, of demons they were able to cast out. But apparently this was a no-go. And how come? Why weren't they able to do it? And Jesus says to them, hey, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, many people will use this text, exorcists, or I guess that would be the correct term, and use this text as like a formula, formula for certain demonic possessions. Like, hey, like this demon can only be cast out if you do X, Y, Z in this order. Um, I don't buy that. Prayer and fasting are two tools that the Lord uses for what? When we pray and fast, what happens to us as believers? We get closer to Jesus, right? So I believe that this prayer and fasting uh, and the inability for the disciples to cast out this demon had more to do maybe with them relying on what uh, the Lord had given them and maybe even a prideful manner in their flesh. Um, rather than dependent upon that closeness they had with Jesus. So again, I don't believe this is a case for mechanical ministry in the sense of um, we have to follow these directions. I think it's way more to do with our closeness with the Lord. Amen? If you guys are going through something, or maybe, I don't know, maybe there is a demonic possession of someone you know, and you've tried to pray and cast this demon out through the Holy Spirit, um, and it's not taking, 
prayer and fasting, closer with the Lord. Maybe I know that that's kind of, it's almost like a touchy situation for us. I know that that's not necessarily prevalent in all of our day-to-day, and I understand that, which is why this is an interesting topic to to talk about. Um, Many pastors uh, over the years have deep-dived into demonic possession, and it's a good thing, I think, to do so. But as for tonight, I just want you guys to know, hey, if you're in this situation, hey, we need that closeness with Jesus. We need to be reliant upon his Holy Spirit and not our flesh. Amen? Um, And then, I guess, one kind of tangent, I suppose, that I kind of wanted to bring up as far as this demonic possession and this, um, this topic, we have like a really, really weird relationship with it in the United States in our day and age. Um, It's all over movies. It's all over just fun, like teens or young adults playing with Ouija boards or um, just, I I saw this like film that came out. I don't remember. I think it was like Talk to Me or some weird title. It's just like purely about demonic possession. I would rather you guys get your wisdom and your schooling about this topic from right here. Steer clear of the garbage that the enemy uses to make demonic possession relevant or cool or a hot topic of the day. I don't know if you guys are into horror movies or not. I Very frankly, I've seen a few. It's been a long, long, long time because I think the Holy Spirit put it on my heart at a decently young age to say like, hey, there's a legitimacy to the darkness that you see in those films. And again, guys, if this isn't prevalent to this group, praise the Lord. It doesn't need to be. But I felt the need to say, like, if you guys are interested in that or mixed up in that, clip it. No more. You don't need it. Ex nay. Allow the wisdom and discernment regarding the spiritual realm to come from here rather than the junk you see on TV. Amen? Um, <clears throat> like I said, that, that may not be relevant, but if it is, praise the Lord. Get rid of it. Don't go to the theater. Don't watch it. Yeah. I don't see much of a case for the legitimacy of indulging in that type of entertainment. I just don't. It's dark. It's twisted. Even we've discussed, my wife and I, just about it. Like, even the writers who put these things together. Imagine the darkness in your mind and in your heart to put these things together. It's wrong. And it's twisted. And as believers, we have no part in that. So hang it up. Sound good? Sweet. We move on. (coughs) Verse 30. (coughs) Excuse me, guys. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. Now, verse 30 is a cool transition of what's going down in the ministry of Jesus right now. Verse 30, as he's moving toward Galilee, this is like, the beginning of his turn to Jerusalem and moving toward the cross. So he doesn't want anyone to know it. He wants to grab the 12, sneak away, and we're beginning to move toward Jerusalem, toward inevitably Jesus going to the cross. 31, for he taught his disciples and said to them, the Son of Man is is being betrayed (coughs) into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. 
I thought this was an interesting timing for this, the Lord to remind the disciples of this. Remember, we're right on the heels of the transfiguration where Peter, James, and John are told, hey, you can't tell anybody about this. But they witness God and his, some form, some percentage of his glory. God. God's glory. He casts out the demonic, or the demonic, or I'm sorry, the demon inside of the boy. He comes to the aid from the scribes. And I can't help but think the disciples are just thinking to themselves like, oh yeah, we could get used to this. I would imagine in their minds, this is still their mindset is to think through like Jesus is going to set up his kingdom on earth right here, right now, ruling and reigning. And I was thinking too, like just putting myself in their sandals, as Jason Beale would say, it would be really hard to let go <coughs> of Jesus at this point if he, was here, if he was here in our day and age with the politics we have, with the junk in the world. And imagine the Lord is here and he's doing miracles and you see him in his glory and he's just, the world is changing. People are following him. He's doing great things. For me, I would be like, dude, this is what we needed. This is good. And I wonder if the disciples just were in this bliss and this mindset of, Lord, oh, it's, this is going to be so great. It's so good that you're here. And Jesus, maybe even timely, needed to remind them, hey, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men and be killed. And I wonder if that was just confusing or even heartbreaking for these guys. They don't understand it and they're afraid to ask him, unfortunately. But I wonder if that was just like hard to hear but necessary for the Lord to say, hey, this isn't the end goal. The Father had his, or Jesus had his eyes on whose will? The Father's will. And he was not derailed. He was not teetered left or right from it. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. But yeah, we get this beautiful picture of the Lord just reminding them, hey, this isn't the big picture. There's unfinished business. And they're unafraid to ask him. 33, <clears throat> then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed amongst yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. How embarrassing. I, I, I best be careful, because who's to say I wouldn't be in that conversation? Maybe even Peter, James, and John would be like, during the conversation, like, well... <laughs> I'd love to tell you how great we are, but I, the Lord said I couldn't talk about it. So let's just, let's just put a pin in that. Let's just say I'm not 12th. I wonder if these guys were just going back and forth, and these guys maybe with pride in their hearts and kind of this, this pompous attitude of just like, hey, we've seen things you guys have not seen, and we're not even allowed to tell you. But Jesus asked them, and they're embarrassed, and I would be too. And he sat down, verse 35, I think this is a very gracious picture that Jesus paints for us. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, <clears throat> If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. It would have been really, really easy and maybe even appropriate for Jesus to rebuke the twelve here. Right? What do you mean? With a lack of faith to cast out this demon, possibly, or whatever it is, the pride to even have this conversation. What do you mean? Instead, 
he tells them how to be the greatest, which I think is cool. He doesn't smack them upside the head and be like, dingus, what are you talking about? He tells them how to be the greatest, and I would imagine it wasn't what they were expecting to hear. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be the last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I don't know how many of you guys realize this, but when you accept or love on a little kid, they do very little for your social status. They don't propel your ministry. They're not great at the podium to back you for whatever you're running for. Jesus here is making a a case for loving the lowly. If you want to be the greatest of all, love the least of us. And I think that's a great reminder because I think when we think of greatness, especially me, even say in ministry, you look at these big mega churches and these guys doing big, big things and you're like, that is spiritual greatness and that's what I should shoot for. That's what I want to shoot for. Not that that's necessarily wrong, but we're seeing the opposite here from Jesus. He grabs a little kiddo and says, hey, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Guys, as an encouragement to you, receive the lowly. Love on the kiddos. Love on the lowly in heart. Amen? It's hard to do. It's humbling. Like I said, it doesn't propel your status as, a, as someone in ministry or as someone who's maybe trying to be great. It doesn't look great on a resume. But in the eyes of the Lord, you're receiving Him. Amen? And that is of much greater value than the greatness that we perceive and that we want to achieve in, in and of our flesh. It's a good reminder for me just in my day-to-day. <clears throat> I think the Lord just puts people in our path every day who just need to be loved, who need to be encouraged, who may not seem worth the time to us. Shame on us for thinking that. Would we love those who he loves? Would the Lord give us eyes to see the love that he has for others? Amen. I think that's a great prayer. If you guys struggle with that or don't know how, where to begin, pray, Lord, I don't see, maybe I don't see the ones that you love or I, I don't see the opportunities to love the lowly. Give me your eyes to see. And I, I have a sneaky feeling he will. Amen. I think this is cool. I wonder if that rocked the disciples. I hope it did. And actually it did. We know it did. 38. <clears throat> now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Guys, for us in our day and age, I think this is a warning of having like sects, S-E-C-T. Divisions. The disciples apparently ran into someone who wasn't with the pack, wasn't with the 12, but they were casting out demons in Jesus' name. And they apparently said, hey, whoa, you're not with us. What are you doing? 
And Jesus' response to that is like, hey, hey, don't stop him. If he's doing things in my name, why forbid him? He's on our side. There's something to be said about spiritual discernment when we are dealing with ministries here on island or around the world to make sure that we're not to be, mm, we're to be fruit inspectors. If they believe in the gospel and that Jesus is God, praise the Lord, allow them to go on, they are blessed. We need to be very, very careful when we forbade people of doing things in the Lord's name just because it's not what we do. I think it's a very prideful thing, and honestly, no one is exempt here. I pray that the Lord would give the spiritual leaders of this church and then you guys eyes to see, hey, these guys are in the fold. This is a ministry, one, I can support or get behind or pray for, but we don't need to be going out and challenging each and every ministry around here saying, hey, what's your deal? What's going on here? I need to, I need to check this out before I can approve of its legitimacy. I think we need to be very careful before we go around doing that. Amen? But like I said, there is times where, hey, through spiritual discernment, if we do realize or see, hey, like this isn't right. This doesn't match up with what I see here. Like there is a time to challenge things. And I think there is a time to say, hey, like what's going on? But I think we need to be very careful when we do that and allow the Lord to work through others. And instead of our pride stepping in and saying, hey, this isn't how we would do it. This isn't what we do here. We need to allow the Lord to work those things. And so, <clears throat> all in all, guys, a couple things. Are you guys a shepherd? Has the Lord given you the ability just as a leader of your household or a spiritual leader of a crew to step up and speak up for those around you to watch out for wolves? Two, don't be giving in to the weird, disgusting entertainment ploy of demonic possession. Be educated in the word and in truth, but we don't need to be playing around with that junk. Amen? Three, love the lowly. This one was big for me, and I think the one that I need to work on the most. I can be very prideful and say, like, I've got better things to do. Guys, we have it here in red. If you want to be great, be the least of all. I think that's one we struggle with the most because I think we're, maybe not, but a little too high and mighty at times. I pray against that for us, amen? And then four, let's be careful stepping in and examining ministries that the Lord has blessed and approved. Let's be aware. Let's have discernment. Be led by the Spirit. <clears throat> but let's let the, word, the Lord work, Amen. That's all I've got for tonight. Thanks for hanging in there, guys. Let's pray it up. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, you are good. Thank you that you did have your face set toward the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for my sin. Lord, and thank you for the wisdom that you gave your disciples and things that we can carry into today. Lord, we pray against the enemy and against demonic possession, Lord. 
Lord, if there are those around us who maybe our eyes haven't been opened to that, would you open our eyes? Lord, give us eyes to see the broken and the lowly, Lord, and give us the compassion and the readiness to step in. Father, I pray that you were glorified tonight. Lord, if anything that I said that is not truthful or just can be tossed away, would it be? But Lord, I pray that your word would be an encourager to us, Lord. Would it sharpen us for the rest of this week? Thank you for this body of believers. Lord, I pray that you would just encourage them as they go out the doors. Thank you for all their beautiful faces that I get to see. Lord, and I pray that as they keep coming, that they would be growing fervently in their love for you and their love for one another. Jesus, you are so, so good. Lord, we anticipate your coming. Lord, we are ready. But Lord, in the meantime, would you keep us going? Help us to love the lowly, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.